Well, next week we begin Advent, and we hope you will join us for Advent season leading up to our Christmas Eve service. Today, we finish out Legacy, and we've said each week that Legacy is a real simple four-week series where we're looking at four lives from the Bible and what they've left behind. Everybody lives, everybody leaves. I know a guy is doing a sermon series now called Heaven Who Goes There. That's a pretty important question. Uh, you ought to think about that real seriously. The older I get, the more I, I want to go. I thank, G- thank Jesus that I am, and the more uh, people I want to take with me when I go. But everybody lives and everybody leaves. The question is, what do you leave behind? I had lunch today, or this week, with a, a young man who's kind of new to our church, and, and um, I uh, he played baseball at Millsaps, and I asked him, hey, did you know a guy named Nick Crawford? And uh, did you know, and I thought he'd know Nick from, because uh, they played many, many years apart, and uh, I thought he would know him from Fondren Church, but he hadn't been there long. He didn't know Nick from Fondren Church, but he knows Nick from, uh, from playing baseball, and though, though Nick played years and years ago, his baseball coach still talks about Nick Crawford how Nick was tough and how Nick holds an NCAA record in baseball for the number of times being pitched. Y'all know that Nick Crawford is here today. I don't know where he is, but there he is right there. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was thinking over here. I felt you over here, but there's Nick today. And we never uh, honor a special guest here. I mean, if the president of the United States was, was here, we, we really wouldn't acknowledge him. If Coach Prime came uh, to Fonder Church, well, he'd be preaching if Coach Prime came. And we're working on that behind the scenes. I am. But, but uh, we just don't acknowledge guests. But we, we want acknowledge Nick Crawford uh, here today and people ask me is, is Nick uh, is he coming back and I'm like yeah he's coming back for a weekend here and a weekend there but I don't know if we're ever getting him back but you know you live and you leave and you leave a legacy and and Nick has left a legacy and his wake here from the baseball team to our church uh, what kind of legacy have you left uh, behind and I'm talking about when you leave leave not when you move to Flower Mound Texas like Nick has done I mean when you leave leave you're going to leave something behind and so in these weeks we've looked at a few characters all from the Old Testament side we looked at at Solomon and Adam and last week Ruth and today we're going to look at James and I invite you to turn to James James chapter 5 and in a little bit you know the jam and a little bit we will from the screen or from your open Bible in front of you uh, we'll uh, read James chapter 5 and we'll hit up verse 7 uh, through 11, when we get there, James chapter 5, verse 7 through uh, 11. What do we know? Really, two facts I want you to know about James. We're going to study something from what he has written, but I want you to know that he's the brother of Jesus and that he was the head or the leader of the church in, uh, in Jerusalem. Now, he wrote this letter, James, that you're turning to or you'll look at in just a moment up on their screen. He, he wrote this epistle. Most of the letters or epistles were written by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote most of them, but you know that like Peter wrote a few, Peter wrote a couple, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, John uh, wrote a few, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, uh, uh, Jude wrote one, uh, chapter one, one letter, he wrote that, he's the brother uh, of James, Hebrews, who do y'all think wrote Hebrews? Talk among yourselves on that one. Uh, and Paul wrote a bunch, he, he wrote a bunch, and he, he had uh, several uh, that are known as prison epistles, we studied one of them recently in, in Philippians when we looked at how happiness happens. But what's the difference? Uh, scholars have looked to see, they've asked this question, they've analyzed and compared. What's the difference between the Pauline epistles, the letters that Paul wrote, and this letter that James wrote? And as they analyzed and compared, they uh, observed this, that, uh, that James leads in imperatives. So in the Greek language, the imperatives are the directives. Uh, James was uh, 
Man, he took the gloves off. He was very plain spoken. He used very plain language. And it's high in what I would call vitamin A, a healthy dose. All throughout this letter, you get a healthy dose of vitamin A application. Uh, the challenge there is that you would walk away and you would know how to apply this. And James uh, preaches that way. The, these imperatives are commands, this very plain direct language that he uses and he starts it right off he lets us know James 1 1 that he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad that's not just a geography lesson uh, for us that historians look at but that's actually he's saying that this is a persecuted a group of ethnic Jews and they've been dispersed and so things aren't great a lot of them aren't able to gather like we're able to gather uh, during this Thanksgiving week and so he's writing saying there's some problems but he starts off the directives by saying count it all joy Count all joy when you encounter various trials. And he says, if you, if, you, if, you, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He says to persevere under, under trials, to keep yourself unspotted from the world, to be quick uh, to listen, quick to speak, but slow uh, to anger, to care for the, the orphans uh, and the widows. He goes on to say, do the word. Don't just listen to it, but do it. Don't show favoritism, he says in the second chapter. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God. One command after another. And then a command today that probably no one's going to say amen to. He says this in James 5, 7 through 11 is what we're looking at. He says, be patient. Can I get an amen? All right. Are you being honest? Come on. That's one of the, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? That I think a lot of us pray, Lord, help me be patient. You're probably sitting next to someone that's caused you to pray that prayer. Lord, help me. Give me patience. Give me patience. But on blue sky days, you don't really naturally pray for patience. Because I think inside, you, you know that there is embedded in that prayer for patience, there's a deeper request. Which is, God, give me some trouble. So nobody prays that prayer. Now you're kind of silent, aren't you? All right, be patient, he says, therefore, brothers. Remember, imperatives, commands, direct, plain language, one after the other. Uh, remember, this is the same guy that said faith without works is dead, and people try to contrast him with Paul as if they're contradicting each other. Not so at all. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Mississippi State fans can really connect to this. You also be patient. Here we go again, four times in this little stretch. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, there we go again, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed, they're happy, who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and how he is merciful. So in the Bible, patience is a big deal. It's listed among the qualities of love. Y'all know y'all go to weddings and you hear the preacher say love is kind. It doesn't boast. It's not rude or proud or self-seeking. It doesn't uh, delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But I missed the first one. What does he say? Love is patient and kind. It's listed in the qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's listed in the fruit of the spirit of Galatians 5. In Colossians 3, long before the show TLC, Paul tells us in Colossians 3 what not to wear. He tells us to put off some things. Don't wear this, don't wear that. But he tells us to put on. And patience is among what he says that we should be 
clothe them. One of my favorite passages in 1 Thessalonians 5, it helps me pastor, it helps me lead. It says that, that uh, we should uh, warn the idle and the disruptive. And by the way, the idle are the lazy people, and the lazy people can oftentimes be the most disruptive people uh, in our midst. As Winston Churchill talked about the players on the field and the critics in the gallery. And it's oftentimes organizations get ruined, churches can be hurt because of the critics in the gallery. They're not, they're not on the field, they're not in the field of battle, but they're idle. So he says, warn the idle and disruptive. He says, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And here's the safety net, the stopgap. He says, be patient with everybody. You see the needs there? Warn the idle and disruptive. Encourage the faint-hearted, the one who's about to quit, the one who's hurting. Offer encouragement to them. To the weak, offer them help. But for everybody, show patience. Patience is a big deal in the Bible, and patience is a big deal uh, in our language. We, We have sayings like, wait for it, or you need a wait and see attitude. We say that we're waiting in the wings or waiting on a woman or waiting in line or waiting in limbo we say we're we're waiting waiting until the stars align or we're waiting for the dust to settle or or we're waiting for the smoke to clear we're waiting uh, for my ship to come in we're waiting for the other shoe to drop we have a lot of sayings uh, about waiting but the reality is we hate to wait Tom Petty got it right in the 80s waiting is the hardest part in fact as we learn to connect with each other, 1 Corinthians 13, the love qualities, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, Colossians 3, the, the wardrobe that we should wear, 1 Thessalonians 5, how we need to connect with people and see where they are. All these things are horizontal in nature. We need patience with one another, but probably the hardest part of waiting is the vertical. It's waiting on God. And time and time again, in this best-selling book of all time, we're told to wait for him. We're told to wait patiently for him and isn't that hard isn't that hard to do in fact there's a promise in the bible that we put on uh, bumper stickers and we put its inscription in our homes it says to wait for the lord isaiah 40 and verse 31 wait for the lord those who wait on the lord there's a promise given they'll soar they'll mount up like wings of eagles and they'll be able to run and not grow weary and walk and not faint and even there even there There's categories of where we are. What season are you in? Uh, You might be soaring today. You may be soaring. You may be mounting up like wings of eagles, and we're happy for you, but that's not everybody in the room, is it? And he's saying, wait patiently because you may not be soaring. The message for you today as you wait on the Lord, it may be, as you wait on the Lord patiently, it might be running and not growing weary. Maybe you're not able to soar, but maybe you can run. And if you're running, the promise of God is that you wait on him, you won't grow weary. But maybe you're not able to soar. Maybe you're not able to run. Maybe you're just able to walk. And the promise for you is if you wait patiently on the Lord, you can walk and not, you cannot faint. So this patient thing is a big deal. It's a part of our language. And it's, um, it's a big part of what the Bible promises us. And it's truly one of the hardest things in life to wait patiently for the, for the Lord. To wait, to demonstrate patience uh, with each other. So how many of you, a show of hands, enjoyed a, a cup of coffee this morning? How many of you, how many of you got a home brew? You took something at the house early because you'd be grouchy and get headaches and you'd be hard to live with if you don't get that cup right when you wake up. How many of you are drinking free coffee from Fondren Church, right, and not even complaining about it? There you go. Amen. Amen. Come on, bring it now. Uh, some of you are here because of the coffee, right? Some of you, we've had people complain about the coffee and I always answer that, it's free. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need a Bible verse. It's, it's free. 
fill out the suggestion box. We'll probably do nothing about it. But uh, it's, it's, it's free coffee. But uh, if you enjoyed a cup of coffee this morning, um, you know, it's easy for us to think that you just, uh, it just, it's like, you know, it's on the shelves and it's, it's easy. It's just this process that, uh, that's quicker. But if you delve deeper, you'll, feel, you'll realize that there's 10 steps from, um, from when coffee begins, from the inception of the process to when it lands uh, in your cup. And the first uh, process is, is planting. It's, it's planting, and then it's harvesting, and then it's processing, and then it's drying, and then it's milling, and then it's exporting, and, and then it's tasting. And then you have uh, other things like roasting and grinding and brewing. And this is, a, this is a process. And I did a little research this week, and I won't bore you with it. But there's a lot of things that happen. Even in the planting, it starts out in nurseries. And it's necessary for the seeds of coffee to uh, be in nurseries before it goes to, per- to permanent, more permanent ground. And it needs, to, it needs the right amount of moisture and soil content. And everything needs to be uh, just right in this regard. Uh, the planting, and then there's the... The harvesting, the, uh, it goes from a seed to a cherry. They're looking for the, the redder oftentimes uh, is the better of those seeds. And this is the harvesting, y'all. You ready for this? It's three to four years in time. Three to four years from when it's planted in wet climates with moisture and limited, necessary but limited sunlight. And then it goes to the, the harvesting stage. And then the, the processing stage, the cherries there, um, have to be, and my clicker ain't working well. Um, then they're, they're sorting, there's grinding and hauling and milling and all these things that have to take place for the coffee to get where it comes from. Can you name the top five coffee-growing countries of the world? Any guesses here? What would you have in your top five? The number one, you ready, is Brazil, and then Venezuela, and then Colombia, and then Indonesia, and and. Then a couple of different countries are tied in East Africa. And then Honduras. Those are your top five, six um, parts of the world, countries that produce coffee. They're exported. But then the, the, there's all these processes involved in even these other processes. It takes a while to get it. And here's what I know about us. We want to be uh, quick people. We want things to be in a hurry. We want things to be easy 555 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature uh, needed for coffee to to do what it needs to do to do it gets into our cup so that we can enjoy we love the destination you like the cup of coffee but we hate the process we love the destination but we hate the process pastor I know Crawford Loritz, I've looked up to him for many, many years. I'm now uh, looking at his son as he preaches at uh, Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. But Crawford years ago said that in God's kitchen, if you peruse God's kitchen, you will not find microwaves, only crockpots. Can I get an amen there? Some of you ladies are amen. Some of you young ladies don't know what a crockpot is, so don't be lying in church. You've never even heard of it. But we want the microwave, right? We want the quick thing. We don't want the slow thing. And I can tell you, let me pastor for a second, not just preach. I can tell you many times in my life, God has said to me, Robert, you are here, but I want you there. And I want you to have a proven faith. I want you to have a tested faith. 
I want you to look more mature than you currently do. You're here, but I want you there. And the plan is not for a microwave. The plan is to put me in a crock pot and to put the lid on and to let the right things come into my life so that I can grow. Now, I like the destination. I want to look mature and complete, James chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3. I want to look complete and mature. I want to look close to perfect, but I'm not there. I'm far from there, and I bet you are too. And God says, hey, I want to do things in your life at the crockpot level. And we love the destination, don't we? But it's the process that we need to embrace. Here is uh, the Greek word. Uh, we're getting closer to what we enjoy here in these pictures. Uh, here's, let me nerd out for just a moment. Stay with me for one minute max. Um, this is the Greek word. When, when James writes in James 5, 7, he says, be patient. He's given this Greek word here. The original language is, it's a, it's a compound word. And here's how you say this, makrothuma. Makrothuma, it doesn't look like it, but that's how you would pronounce this, makrothuma. And it's a compound Greek word. The prefix is macro, and that means long. And the root word is uh, thuma. That's where we would get our word thermometer. And so here's the connotation. The connotation is, in, in the root word, it's, it's, it's heat. It's anger. If you put these two words together, he's saying, be long with your anger. Be long to get angry. Remember what he said in the first chapter? Be slow to anger, quick to listen, quick, slow to speak, quick to, yeah, you know, you know, James 1, 19. Be slow, uh, slow to anger, be quick to listen. This is the command, and it's similar. He's bringing this back around in the fifth chapter and in the seventh verse. Macrothuma is be long. When, when you're in a situation that could test your patience, when you're in a situation that could cause you to be angry, slow down. Now, I'm comforted in the fact, and this is, this is honestly, y'all, revolutionized my life. When I see these traits like patience as a fruit of the Spirit, the, the Word, through the power of the Spirit, instructs me that I don't have to manufacture this on my own. What I need to be is a contemplative person. I need to be a reflexive person. I need to be a person who abides in Jesus. I need to let him produce this result in me. Now, I share a part in it. I have to bear a responsibility with the work that he's doing. But through practices, through disciplines, through Sabbath, through slowing, through confession, through repentance, through the other habits and rhythms and disciplines, whatever you want to call them that God gives, uh, the abiding in Christ, letting his word abide in me, this is produced more and more in my own life. And so the macrothuma, this patience that God gives, and here's what James is going to give us. I'm going to be really fast, so don't roll your eyes when I say this, but I'm going to give you four reasons uh, that James tells us we need patience. First is, he says, we need to be patient in difficulty. We need to be patient in difficulty. The first verse, or the second verse of chapter 1 he says, count it all joy when you uh, encounter various trials. Peter, a cohort of his, would say the fiery ordeals, plural. Various trials, fiery ordeals. Jesus himself, John 16, said, in this world you're going to have trouble. In Luke 21, 14, um, he says, hey, disciples, you're walking into this, but make up your mind beforehand that you will not worry. But here's all the things coming your way. It's just waiting on you, and it's really heavy stuff. You're going to have difficulty. Remember what he says at the end of this? Did anybody remember? He said to strengthen your heart. 
He said, strengthen your heart in this, that you would be established. I'm saying today, because of difficulty that you've experienced, some of you don't need to, I mean, you don't really need this point to be reinforced, but there's difficulty coming to you. Uh, I mentioned earlier, one of our cliches is waiting on the other shoe to fall. All right, I'm not trying to promote negativity. I'm trying to promote realism. But it's my job to tell you from the word of God to strengthen your hearts, to be ready to have courage within you. Let it be an inner virtue that no matter what happens outside, inside of you, in the deepest part of you, you are ready to face it. Strengthen your hearts uh, in this. So we need to... uh, we need to be patient when we face difficulty. He uses the example of a farmer. He says, hey, look, notice the farmer. Notice the life of the farmer. Now, in Palestine in the first century, uh, it was their thing to have brown fields, to have dry soil, and they were without modern irrigation techniques. They, they were unknown to them. So this was a big deal. Uh, I know we have some farmers in the room. I know we have some Delta people. I know we have some people whose uh, business is connected to farming. And I hear from you. I get prayer requests from you, comments from you to pray for rain. We have not enough rain or we have too much rain. Now, we live in that world. I think we always will, no matter uh, all the advances we get in our technology. We'll live in that world. But back then, they really lived in that world. And there was a sense of the farmer knew that their labor was in vain unless God caused it to rain. And that was, and here James is writing, he says, go to the farmer and learn from them. Now, rain is a big deal. Look what the Bible would say in several different places. There's a latter rain. We read it, by the way, from James 5. Did you pick up on that early rain and latter rain? Um, Deuteronomy 11, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains. So that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. Jeremiah 5, they do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God who gives autumn and spring rains in season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Joel, the prophet from the second chapter, be glad people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given you what? The autumn rains because he's faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. In the Bible, the early rains were considered October, November, fall rains. The latter rains were considered April and May. And here are these promises from the word that God will provide. He will send the rain, but you have to be patient. Uh, What does a farmer do? Plows and sows and reaps. And uh, just think back to our illustration about the coffee farmer and harvester. There's a lot of work, but there's a dependency that they have. And so you work, you work, but you need God to work. And we need to be patient, number one, because we will face difficulty. When you encounter various trials, I hope and pray that you'll strengthen your heart and you'll be ready. You'll partner with God in the work that he's doing. The second uh, reason that we need uh, patience is that we will face disappointment. In the, fifth, in the ninth verse of the fifth chapter, he says, do you remember this? He says, do not grumble one against another. And I know, remember James was writing to these 12 tribes scattered abroad, they're ethnic Jews, as I said. When they heard this word, this command, this imperative, this directive from James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, when he wrote to them and he said to them, do not grumble against one another. You'll need patience in order to not grumble against each other. But they knew, uh, they they thought first of their forefathers who uh, had a God-ordained 
pre-planned six-day journey from Egypt to Canaan and the six days turned into 40 years. That's never good, right? Have you been a little off course? I bet you've never planned something. Six, it's 40 years. But now you could be in a hard season you thought was a few days and it's lasted years or even decades. Talk to some older people. But in this we, say, we see that he's saying to us, don't grumble because when you're facing disappointment, that could be the hardest you there is. That could be the toughest version of you. And when you're facing disappointment, how do you treat other people around you? Y'all know all the commands. We talk about them all the time. In a big church, in a, in a big room like this, you can only do a few things. Only a few one another's. You can greet one another and those sort of things. And, uh, but but it's in, in group life. It's when we circle up in groups of four to six to eight to ten to twelve or um, um, like I do on Friday morning with some men right behind this wall, that's an opportunity for us to love one another, to pray for one another, uh, to confess our sins to one another, to honor one another, to be devoted to one another. There's a lot of one anothering that needs to take place, but there's some negative one another's of the Bible. And he's saying here, don't grumble against one another. Don't, uh, some translations, don't murmur. Don't grumble against one another. How you react in times of disappointment, you need patience you need God to work patience in you and be careful don't add to the misery and other people's misery by your grumbling hope it's okay to say this and y'all won't judge me harshly as this this is borderline tacky but uh I remember going out with a girl one time and I was just thrilled to get a date with her uh 30 something years ago don't worry babe and I was just like yeah man I mean I, I just to be on a date with her like to be in the same room and then she was one on one with me but honestly she grumbled and complained about everything and I mean I knew it after 10 minutes I'm like last time with you girlfriend last time to be around you like that's not you don't want to be around people uh who grumble and complain so the invitation is set for us in the disappointments of life to, to, to demonstrate patience, a God-ordained, God-sanctioned, God-infused, empowered patience so that you won't be a grumbler. Not only do we need patience to face difficulty, um, we also need patience um, in, um, in disapproval. He uses, he goes from farming to the prophets, from farming to the prophets. These were the guys who spoke truth to people of old. And the older I've gotten, the more I've pastored. And, but can I say this? The more I've interacted with today's young generation, the more I've appreciated the prophets. Because we sometimes think of church and our, our devotional life as go to church, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, have a few jokes, and keep things light. But you read the prophets and they're looking at the world and they're seeing the evil injustice. And they're like, this is not God's plan. And we need to do something about it. And that's why I love the prophets. And here's what the prophet James says. You need to learn. You and I need to learn patience from the prophets. Because look at the patience they had to, dis, they had to experience. Um, they had to express because of what they experienced. And they experienced disapproval. The prophets were, they brought truth to other people. But they, per, they experienced persecution. Here's what Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you. When they persecute you. And they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying in God's kitchen there's no microwaves. Only crockpots. Here's what he said in the 23rd chapter. Jerusalem, Jerusalem who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you. How often I've longed to gather you in. Uh, this um, prayed as Jesus wept over 
this great city. And here's how the prophets were treated. Hebrews 6 says this about one of the prophets. Remember Abraham and the promise that God gave him starting in Genesis 12 and that he would uh, be a family that would bless, that his nation would bless other nations. But they had to wait so patiently to see God's promises. Because in God's kitchen, there are no microwaves, only crockpots. And Abraham, it says, he waited patiently and he received what was promised. Now there was a man in Jerusalem. We're going to preach this from Luke 2 in the Advent season. You'll hear it more next week. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. By the way, if you think that only good things come to good people, man, the Bible, just read, open this book, man, it'll crush that. It just crushes it. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for something. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He points us, James does, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He points us to the farmer, and he points us to the prophets because we can learn from them in their patience. Micah 7, 7, but as for me, I watch in hope. I wait in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Isaiah 64, 4, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen. Does that sound like familiar language for anybody? Uh, You'd be surprised how many times you're reading the New Testament, like the letters, and you're like, whoa, um, plagiarism. I'm playing about plagiarism, but you know what I'm saying. They're, They're quoting, they're speaking to their listeners who know what was said before them um here's what he's saying god will act on behalf of those who what who wait for him waiting is the hardest part the final thing we need patience as we face disaster now i want to be careful with this one because i don't think you should live thinking the other shoe is going to fall I want you to be blessed. I want you to walk in God's blessing. If you and I, James 1, 5, if we live wiser lives, we'll, we'll, we will avoid so much pain in this world. But disaster can come. It can come. And he points away from the farmer and the prophets to a man who lived so long ago, a man named Job, which really, I mean, man, Job um, puzzles us, doesn't he? Doesn't he? And the story of Job begins, do y'all know this? The story in the Bible of Job begins in heaven, a conversation in heaven. And that makes me think, because by the way, you know, when I, when I go to funerals and I've lost a few loved ones in my own life, but I, 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 I walk with some of you when the, when the caskets are smaller. And uh, this dude went to a funeral with 10 of them. And so I, I hope and pray nobody experiences that. And I really hope you're disaster-free. Difficulty and disappointment and disapproval, that, that's the promise. Disaster, man, I don't know. But I know Job was very, very different. If the conversation begins in heaven and God lets us in on that with the enemy, with good and evil and all this, there's something crazy about it. But Job got to a place after his, all of his loss, you'll, restart, you'll get to the 19th chapter and toward the end, and God starts restoring him. Can't explain it all, but God begins to restore him in this great utterance that Nicole Mullins made a great song over. I've been singing a lot in church lately. Some of y'all pointed that out to me. And uh, I don't think you're grumbling about it, maybe. But um, I could break into song here. But as she sung about this, isn't it great? I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on earth. Lord, as you and the team make your way up, 
we'll begin to close. Years ago, a lot of you know this, a little bit of our story, but in 1996, it was the summer that I was going to ask Susan to marry me. And we had been living coast to coast. And we flew into this city, and when I was flying into the city, um, the plane just didn't seem to land. And we're talking Atlanta, we're talking Delta. Um, you know, the old joke that Delta stands for don't expect luggage to arrive. And I, at one point I was like, I don't care about my luggage, I want to arrive. And I knew this beautiful brunette was on the ground and I was, had a plan this summer. And the plane just was circling and circling and circling. And I was like, you know, having conversations with the flight attendant and uh, talking to people and doodling things and praying and, and grumbling a little bit. And, uh, but here's what I, here's what I, what dawned on me is that the pilot's not being mean to me. He's not just circling the airport and circling the airport and circling the airport to spite me. In fact, he's, he wants to land the plane. But he's in communication with a group of people who are on a tower. and They're, they're trained. They're specialists. And they're trained on this tower to communicate with all the pilots because there's a whole lot more going on than I think. There's a whole lot more in this world than my own little world. And they're communicating. This pilot's communicating with some people who are high up in a tower. And they're looking down and they can see things that I can't see. And they know things that I can't know. And I'm telling you, if I, the pilot would have landed the plane like I wanted, wanted him to land the plane, there would probably have been fatalities. And I would have been one of them. And I'm asking you today to strengthen your heart in the midst of difficulty and disapproval in the midst of what it could be disaster even in your life disappointment to strengthen your heart because God sees more than you see he knows more than you know and he's working in you to develop patience in your life would you stand with me let me pray over you father would you let this word uh, take root in our lives and uh, I pray that it could make a difference for us In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of disapproval, even disaster, Lord, our Redeemer can live. And you're working on our behalf. And so would you help us strengthen? Would you help us learn from the farmer? Would you help us to partner with you, knowing that we need to work? This isn't waiting, isn't passive resignation. It's active participation with a God who wants to work, just as a farmer. And just as the prophets, it's us needing you to have our back and you to provide in your own timing and for the one who's waiting today if it's an infertility battle an adoption struggle a difficult marriage a recent diagnosis a besetting sin a relationship that seems to not be able to be reconciled if it's needing you to work, would you work in us? I pray today would be new for people who need a fresh touch from you and to know that you're working. In Jesus we pray, amen. We're going to close in just a few minutes. We'll be gone, but we want to open the altar up. I'm going to give you two challenges today as we invite you to the front. Today would be a good day just as a physical expression of your gratitude to come and kneel at the altar and say, God, I'm thankful. 
It could be directly related to something you heard from the word today from James 5 or unrelated at all. Today, come and kneel at the altar and say, God, I'm thankful for what you're doing in my life. And I need you to continue to work. Today, you may want to come with a need and you may want to embrace one of us uh, down front. My wife and I will be here and others if needed. But let's just, let's be obedient today. Uh, We'll be out of here in a few. But let's give God these few moments today. Um, You come today if we can pray for you or if you need to kneel at the altar.